Welcome to the SF Squeecast, in which a group of science fiction and fantasy professionals squee about things SF-nal in a never-ending panel discussion of vague positivity. I'm your moderator, Lynn Thomas. I'm joined today by Squeecast regulars Elizabeth Baer. Hi. Sean McGuire. Yo. Catherine Valenti. Hi. And our very special guest, the one and only Charlene Harris. Hello. <laughs> that was sultry. Can you do that again? Hello. <laughs> She's going to fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> We are live from Phoenix Comic Con! Thank you, everybody. We are really glad you're here, um, and we hope that you enjoy this live recording. They tend to be a little on the wackier side than our not-so-live recordings because it's easier for us to see one another. Um, when it, not in-person recordings, I should say, to clarify. Sean is looking at me as though I have lost my mind, which I may have done, um, but it's a thing. So... Um, We changed our format of the podcast. It used to be we all did sort of a show-and-tell thing where we would bring a thing and then talk about why it was awesome. Um, And we started to run out of things, so we decided to change what we were doing um, because we didn't have enough time to consume all the awesome that is out there. So uh, we're just doing a general panel discussion, um, and we may actually have plenty of time for audience questions. No! (laughs) So um, one of the things that we had considered talking about uh, was, uh, since I have this group of writers captive, uh, was talking about um, writing for uh, long series that involve multiple characters, since everybody here writes in series and writes large groups of characters that need to be juggled, uh, and also team-based writing. So how do you balance all of that? Um, so um, we can always start with the example that everybody loves to rant about, the X-Men. Sean's not looking happy with me. Shannon is contractually not allowed to talk about the X-Men. Ah, okay, this is news to me. I'm sorry. Are you allowed to talk about the Avengers as a team? No. No. <laughs> Justice League? I don't follow DC. Shannon, you want to go grab some coffee? I'm going to start with the series thing. Yeah, let's start with yeah. the series thing. Because everybody here has series books, um, and... Charlene, your last series ended at what, book 13? 13, yeah. So, there's the $20,000 question. How do you get all the way to book 13 without wanting to throttle all of your characters? It wasn't my characters I wanted to throttle. <laughs> I was going to say, what makes you think Charlene doesn't throttle her characters? That's, now, I did plenty of bad things to my characters. Uh, I'm well known. Jim Butcher and I have had a long-standing contest... Uh, to see who could do the worst thing to to our characters. I think Jim won when Harry died. Uh, Spoilers! Of course, well, you know, he comes back, so uh, that's that's not a big surprise. Uh, I don't... I had to get a continuity editor was what I had to do because I lost track of, since I don't... since my mind doesn't have enough memory chips, uh, I had to get a continuity editor because I would lose track and readers, I found out, will write in if you describe someone's pickup as being a different color uh, in a, a further book than you did in the initial book. Uh, they get really upset about that and I'm going, you know, what the hell difference does it Maybe make? Maybe they bought a new pickup. But it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? That could happen. But uh, they get really upset because they say it yanks them out of the narrative. You know, and I, I kind of get that now because so many people say it, I know they can't have made it up. I, I got to say, Charlene, I didn't think pickup was the word that sentence was going to end on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have 
have a reputation, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> one. So, so Kat, you write series for uh, middle grade. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it's a different experience writing series for kids than for than writing for grown-ups? Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that you can rely. Kids are probably not going to write in and talk to me about the color of somebody's pickup truck. Uh, they will notice sort of emotional non-continuity, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I forgot that some this major thing happened. Um, but I think that uh, you can rely on adults remembering uh, nitty-gritty details a lot more than you can with kids. Like if if you want something to be communicated as an important thing that the children need to follow, you need to say it over and over and over again. Uh, because you have to have everything sort of out in the open and uh, followable. Whereas adults have a lot more patience for uh, subtle things coming back later on without any uh, in-between mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think in, in publishing, I, I, but I'm not, I'm not sure this is any different than adult books, there's a lot of pressure to make sure that every book stands alone and yet flows uh, arc-wise through a series, which is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's not a lot of uh, writing instruction to be had on how to write a series. There's a lot of how to write your breakout novel, but um, how to write a successful long-term series is not something that gets discussed all that much. I don't necessarily have an answer for how to write a successful long-term series, but uh, I... I would certainly be interested in everyone's thoughts. Speaking of things coming back, Sean, in one of your series is zombie-related. Yes. As Mira Grant. Segway of the Segway century. Segway of the century. <laughs> Segway of the century. <laughs> I've been waiting to use that zombie joke forever, because um, I'm just that sad. Uh, so, so Sean, when you're writing for characters that literally can come back repeatedly, um, if you choose to have them do so. Do well, you... in, in a zombie book, generally when someone comes back, they're, they're not a character anymore. <laughs> they're more like a prop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I love zombies, but zombies are like Gila monsters. They're props. Uh, and then they bite you. Uh, it's the same, same thing. Mm-hmm. I think this comparison is unfair to Gila monsters. I love Gila <laughs> monsters. <laughs> Um, so you'll, I, yeah, that's much more of a superhero question. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're writing about characters that you can't kill off permanently? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is fire. Uh, if I really want to kill them, I set them on fire, and that does a pretty good job. They, they go, it works with vampires, too. It does. You know, Charlene, because she was sort of in the same situation. Right. Where you can always have people write in and go, oh, well, why, why'd you kill Cat? I liked Cat. She was my favorite character in Squeakast. You should bring her back. And it's like, well, okay, vampire Cat. She was already pretty pale and didn't like to go out in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the face that Kat gets every time I, I talk about killing her. She just resigned. <laughs> as, as soon as I invited you into my home, I knew that one day this would be my end. It's um, really a question of how. It, yes. <laughs> and don't worry. Awesome. We're going to make the New York Times list when I kill you, I promise. New York Times list of author murders. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm reminded of uh, my favorite Whoopi Goldberg line ever from the movie Soap Dish, where she plays the lead writer on a soap opera, a very long-running soap opera, who has been instructed to bring back a character she killed several years ago. And she has this incredible, wonderful, towering Whoopi Goldberg rant that culminates with... I decapitated him! Do you know what decapitated means? It means he has no head! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Charlene, when you are going through a series and you're making choices about who lives and who dies and who becomes a vampire and who does not, do 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 you ever have 
characters that you get so attached to that you just can't bring yourself to do terrible things to them? Is anybody safe? Hardly ever. Um, <laughs> because I really like to write death scenes and finding of the body scenes. Those are my favorites. So just remember that. Um, <laughs> I got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> that was my second Aurora Tea Garden book. Um, I, I really enjoy killing people. Uh, I also enjoy making awful, awful things happen to them. And I'll sit there and I'll think, oh, that's too bad. I can't do that to her. And then I'll think, well, you know, it would be kind of fun. Yes, I can do that. Uh, so there's hardly anybody that's really sacred. I mean, my protagonist will not die, but that doesn't mean really awful things won't happen to her. Uh, and they did happen to poor Suki, who is my longest running protagonist. Uh, she's really lucky I ended the books at 13. I actually killed a protagonist just to see what would happen. <laughs> it's you kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you get new protagonists. So with the new series, Charlene, are you planning to kill people off even more gruesomely? I already did. You did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not just plugging Midnight Crossroad, but I have, I have a pretty ghastly so are you just aiming for George George Martin level of body counts? Is that, is that <laughs> no, you know, honestly, I think if I never hear another throat getting cut, I'll be okay with it. <laughs> you know, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, but when I see it coming, I just go, I just don't want to hear that sound again. Just don't want to. You need a remote with a mute button. Exactly. <laughs> well, I actually have such a thing, but I'm not quick enough with it. I'm 62. What do you expect? Uh, no, I, I don't think I'll ever get up to George Martin count. Uh, I don't. Even though I, I keep trying to kill people off to reduce the number of people in the book. Do, do, that's a good character management tactic. It is. Do, do people do the thing with your books where they post pictures of them on the internet with post-it flags stuck in everywhere somebody died? Yep. <laughs> no. Oh. Is that a thing? It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've had someone sit down and analyze how much blood Toby had lost over the course of my October Day books. Like, figure out how much, and it was like a swimming pool. Is that really the kind of fan you want to have? <laughs> if it gets me a blood swimming pool, yes it is. Okay. This is how Shawnee keeps your youthful co complexion. <laughs> I'm older than Charlene. I'm like, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to bathe in the blood of people who fill swimming pools for me. <laughs> I think that is one difference between writing a series for children. <laughs> they tend to want to want you to kill just a little fewer people. Maybe like a, a kiddie pool of blood. <laughs> kiddie pool so it's, of blood. There's our episode title. So it's, it's more true the amputations then. Yeah. <laughs> so Barry, you just finished a trilogy. I killed everyone. You killed everyone? Did rocks Wait, fall before you, everyone died? You killed every... I haven't read book three yet. You killed everyone? Almost. <laughs> No. I'm done. <laughs> at, least, at least one animal makes it. All right, it's the animals we're worried about. <laughs> it is. It is. You oh, can, people you get can, way more upset. Oh, you can slaughter it. Like it. All phalanx of women. Entire families of Starks. Snuff one dire wolf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can let it out. No. I killed India. And did not get as much hatred as I got for killing a cat. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bear, you, you put a, a big, enormous comet or meteor into Toronto at one point. Didn't I, get as much flack for that. I did. I did. I, yeah. After I dropped a, a meteor on on, uh, on Toronto, I got after that book, 
I actually, no kidding, got an email from somebody who said, I really love these books, but you have to promise me that Boris the Cat makes it through book three or I won't be able to read it. <laughs> after, I, after, after I've just killed six million people. You know? There are a lot of cats in Toronto. There are, but they weren't named cats. Because oh. Oh. only named animals count. Right. So anyway, I'm sorry, you were about to ask me a question, but I derailed the conversation. That's okay, the derail was way more interesting than any question I was about to come up with. So, um. I, I did actually drop a, a rock on people. You literally did that. Yeah. Well, in, in the, the Jenny Casey books. Yeah. Rocks fall. Everyone does. Everyone does. And yeah. I, I you actually, mean, I, I, mean, I, I dropped a rock yeah. on, on things in the Eternal Sky books, too, except it was, you know, the big flappy megafauna bird, um, which is a pun that nobody has gotten yet without being told. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Do you have favorite ways to kill people? Anyone? Ooh. Blood Eagle. Oh, wait, we're so talking about many. literary. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm a blunt instrument kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat a good old baseball bat. <laughs> I like animal maulings. Are they more fun to describe, do you think? There, there's an inherent drama in the, you know, the giant slaver and whatever it is. Mm -hmm. <sighs> now, Sean, and your zombie books often feature... Gunshots. Are yep. there other ways you like killing characters? I'm a big fan of knives. I, I collect them, so I've thrown them into most everything, and, and I'm good at describing how they enter the body and mm -hmm. don't always leave it. So knives and machetes. Things that I have in my hall closet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that sometimes your cats take out in the middle of podcasts. Uh, yeah, my cat brought me a machete in the middle of one of our podcasts. Just came down the hall, dragging it in her teeth, and I'm like, well, I've been ignoring the cat too long. <laughs> <laughs> Have the cat's going to commit harakiri. <laughs> Ignore me, will you? So, cats so, are really good at death threats. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe we we should, are. We really are. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should talk about research process a little bit, because, Sean, and you have knives, and you throw them into things, and you have that, therefore, you know, visceral experience of how things sound when knives enter yep. various objects or beings without exiting. Um, are there other kinds of sort of I have to be there visceral research that you find yourself doing when you're writing to make sure that you get a beat right or you get something right, or do you just make stuff up? There is very little I won't do in the name of research once. Um, we had a visiting entomologist recently. Uh, entomologist? Etymologist. Entomologist. The guy with the bugs, he came to UC Berkeley on a poison tasting tour. So you could actually have him put various insects on you and they would sting or bite you and you could experience being stung or bitten by these various insects. So, see this scar here? That's where the bullet ant bit me. They Sign me up. <laughs> they call it a bullet ant because it feels like being shot. And then it hurts for 24 hours with no reduction in the intensity of the pain. <laughs> But cool. it's okay, because I was really distracted by the Asian, by the giant Asian hornet that he had put on the other arm. <laughs> Their venom can actually eat through flesh. 
Like you could see it fizz and pop. It was great. No. Yes. See, I'm not as committed to literature. As I, I just, I can't. I, actually, I'm sitting up here feeling like I'm the glitter sparkle princess. Of the That's why everyone lives. Like I don't have a favorite way of murdering people. I think that I can count on both hands the number of characters I've killed. Sweetie, you, you live on an isolated, haunted main murder island surrounded That's, by that murder is people. True. You are our sparkle glitter, our sparkle glitter fairy, and that's good because we're going to come to you and we need to hide the bodies. <laughs> if she's got an island, that's very useful. Yeah, <laughs> it's only part of an island. Yeah, only. After we kill everyone else on the island, it'll be hers. <laughs> but then, where will we get ice cream when we go to visit her? We'll steal the ferry. Portland. <laughs> this is getting really complicated. <laughs> Doesn't seem this, is, complicated. this is turning into a caper plot. <laughs> Before you know it, we'll have a book. Yeah. Let's go steal us an island. <laughs> so Charlene, what's your favorite way to kill characters? Aside from blunt objects. Did oh, aside from blunt objects. Damn. Um, I don't know. I just like blunt objects. <laughs> What, what can I say? I'm all about the, the force. My daughter played softball very competitively for a few years, so I'm very accustomed to the sound of a bat hitting something solid. Um, I'm not a, a big fan of poison. It's too indirect for me. Mm-hmm. I like something direct and instant. I'm not a torture person either. Mm-hmm. So have you done any sort of hands-on research to... to, to <laughs> the trail of bodies speaks for itself. <laughs> See, that's our episode time. <laughs> Actually, that is a pretty good episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've never actually beaten anybody with a bat. <laughs> I'm sorry. What can I say? I live a sheltered life. I can, I can, I can, I, I've got a list. <laughs> okay. If you need practice. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think we all have a list. <laughs> Cross-reference, find the one name that's, <laughs> that's on everybody. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, Cormac. I, I, I like this theory of like exchanging lists. Because if I go and clobber the people on, on Charlene's list with a baseball bat, there'll be no motive, right? That's so there's right. be nothing to connect me to. Strangers it. on a train. Strangers yes. on a panel. Strangers on a panel. Oh, wait, we're recording. Uh-oh. <laughs> from now, everyone goes to federal prison. <laughs> there's always a catch. <laughs> Conspiracy to commit murder. See, I'm, I'm an editor in, in my copious spare time, so for me, I don't actually get to kill people off. I just get to watch other people do it and then be sad. Aww. Mostly. She likes Voyeur. <laughs> okay, so, wow. That was a very long 20 minutes, and we've got 40 to go. No! <laughs> you can tell we're all being, fle- we're being so flexible that I have no plan. This is excellent. I am now going down in flames. Wonderful. This is the first planless week. Flames? 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 On the side of my face. On the side of my face. It hurts so much. (laughs) They're not literal, I promise. They could be. No, they don't have to be. Sorry. Still still sole provider for a kid. So how about that... uh... Local sports team? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a sports ball team, actually. What about that dry heat? <laughs> That's a dry heat. There's a lot of it. Um, no, I was going to say. So, what about the the uh, fan reactions to character slaughter? Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> don't get into fan reactions. No, we like we like to pre- pretend you all don't exist. <laughs> At least when we're writing. 
Yeah, I, I found out a lot about human nature after I finished the Sookie series, and, and none of it was good. <laughs> it was pretty bad. It was pretty terrible. You know, people uh, find the anonymity of the Internet uh, an excuse to do things their mother would have severely chastised them for doing. In my experience, I always wanted to write people and say, does your mother know you said that to me? You know, I, yeah. I curse your children. Yeah. <laughs> really? 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 My children were responsible for you not liking the end of my book? I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, no, people people get very um, passionate and because they don't necessarily think of authors as, as humans anymore. We're right. just content creators on the other side of the internet. Obviously, we all live in mansions and have pool boys and 17 editors, and we probably didn't write our own books anyway. That uh, they, they feel really entitled to say some things that are like, Wow. I mean, the flip side is that we have more influence on people's lives than is necessarily um, understandable at all times. And that can be really good. I've had people tell me that I helped them get out of abusive relationships, that they read my work because they need to find strength, because they need to find courage, and that's amazing, and it makes me feel really, really good. And it doesn't actually balance out the dude who sent me a long email explaining how, in graphic detail, he was going to rape my best friend in front of me so that I would understand how he felt when he couldn't get a copy of one of my ebooks the minute he wanted it. Uh, uh, who's your best friend? Michelle Docker, you've met her, Vixie. Sure, I just wanted to make sure you weren't saying it was me. No, no. <laughs> you're, you're the cute little redhead that I have sure. with me a lot of the time. Sure. Yeah, literally six-page email explaining in graphic detail what he was going to do to her while I had to watch because he was not able to get my ebook a month before release date when Amazon had accidentally released the paperback a month early. Everyone's got their priorities. Apparently so. Apparently, Apparently so. So we veered really strongly off of vague positivity. Let's move on fan reactions. It'd be great to go somewhere else. So um, what, what is the, the most heartening or just kind of wacky in a funny way reaction that you've gotten? Kat, um, I imagine you've had some kids giving you art or things like that. Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah. Look, children don't know shame yet, so they get excited on a level that you just can't imagine. Like, it's been wonderful to write for children and to go to schools where I have kids that practically crawl into my lap because they're having a really hard time and something in the book spoke to them. Um, I've had wonderful uh, drawings of everything in the Fairyland series uh, sent to me, and Halloween is is a great it's great fun every year when I get to see the little girls who've dressed up this September at the Marcasa. Oh, wow, it's awesome! Uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. My fans are great, actually. I've, I've always thought it was funny that people seem to think that they can mess with Shannon, uh, but are afraid of me. When between the two of us, the one that has the most weapons of mass destruction <laughs> is definitely Shannon. She yeah. will cut you. Whereas I'm actually gooey and soft on the inside and will not do that. I will not let myself be bitten by hornets and ants for literature. I won't. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's the nice thing about, I don't know, I feel like Glitter Princess because I write some really dark stuff, but uh, I certainly do today. The nice thing about being Glitter Princess is that people tend to um, react pretty positively, um, despite the fact that I do horrible things to my characters. Uh, it usually comes out... Mostly all right in the end, and I've had a lot of people write to me and say that uh, you know, they either they were considering suicide or were going through a divorce or a terrible illness, yeah. and and those are the things that make you feel like you've done something worthwhile yeah. in the world. Yeah. 
Or even just a kid who says that it's their favorite book. That's enough. Yeah. That's yeah. I I also have not gotten a lot of the the really any anything really violent. I've gotten some people who were like, "You're a bad person for killing this character," and I'm like, "How do you think I feel?" Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> um, I, I realize that you feel bad about this, but I feel worse. Um, the 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 ones that I've gotten that have been. I mean, I, most of overwhelmingly, my fan reaction is very positive. Um, there are always the weird requests. The um, but the 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 ones that that entertain me the most are the people who write me letters. Like I got one for the the Jenny Casey books. Some guy taking me to task for the foul language in those books because he couldn't give them to his twelve year old kid. Now the first person protagonist of these novels is a former Canadian Armed Forces uh, drill instructor. I I put the word shit on the first page for a reason. I didn't want anybody to be surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you pick it up in the bookstore, you look at the first page, oh, this is not for me. I figured that was, you know, fair warning, right? Yeah, signal. Signal, exactly. So I got a letter from this guy saying, well, I can't give this to my 12-year-old kid because of the cursing in it. And I'm like, what about the three people who get boiled alive in a steam plant? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> also, your 12-year-old knows that word. <laughs> so I, um, I write a series about superheroes. That, that are, it's a very silly series about superheroes. And uh, one of my fans said, sent me an email, and he had my address because we had had him send me something else. So he had my address for legit reasons. This is not creepy. But he, he sent me an email and said, are you planning to write any more Velveteen this year? Because if you do, I will get you a, a Christmas present to thank you because it would be creepy to send you money, but I can send you a Christmas present. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm hoping to. And he says, okay, if you put out a story by this date, then I will get you a Christmas present. And I'm like, okay, well, that is the weirdest bribery ever, but sure. <laughs> and I did wind up putting out a story by that date, not to get a gift, although I admit I'm, I'm subject to bribery. <laughs> and about a week later, I get an email going, is anyone going to be home at your place on Friday? And I'm like, <laughs> My mom's there, I think. Um, my mother lives with me, and, and uh, so I, I think you so. know how this ends in one of Charlene's books. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I think there's someone there to receive a package, and I'm thinking, you know, a package. Uh, so there's this cider company called Woodchuck. They do artisanal ciders, and every year in October they do two hours of artisanal pumpkin cider, and it's like Thanksgiving in a bottle. And it really is, they switch the production line over to pumpkin for two hours. And however much pumpkin they make in two hours is it for the year. Wow. He bought me the West Coast Supply. <gasps> the whole <laughs> West Coast Supply. It has been two years. We are still working our way through. <laughs> People come over and I'm like, would you like some pumpkin cider? <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't. That must be very special to you. It is. So are the other 217 bottles. <laughs> she is. That's really thing. cool. I know, right? I'm like, I, could, I wouldn't because it'd be a waste, but I could fill a bathtub. And just knowing that you could is you a magic. You are filling objects with liquid. <laughs> I have a drinking problem. If you put liquid near me, I'll drink it. This doesn't go so well with the kiddie pool full of blood. 
Well, I guess it depends. Again, you <laughs> fucking <laughs> like Gosh, people send me pictures of naked vampires in coffins. Nobody ever sends me anything good to drink. <laughs> well, the next hey, Charlene, you're, you're on my post. I'll bring some cider and we can have a show. <laughs> Charlene's fans, you're on notice. <laughs> Sealed Annie. Come on, guys. Sealed containers only. <laughs> so, when you're starting a new series, um, what's your favorite part? Of starting a new series, like just finishing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, making the rules. I like to make the rules. This is how this world is going to work. I mean, I have so little power over, you know, the real world that it's fun to say in this world I rule. Everyone will do what I tell them to do. Right when I tell them to do it. Your no procrastination. Your characters do what you tell them to do, for the most part. <laughs> for the most part, yeah. I mean, I know it's just another part of my brain saying, this would be a better idea. Don't obey her. <laughs> do, do this. It's much better. <laughs> That's very true. That, that, uh, there is nothing like being a writer to give you insight into the fact that the, the, this concept of, of I is totally a construct and there is no such thing. There are like 75,000 people inside your head and they all have different opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the little guy who thinks he's driving, there are, there are hand gestures going on for the audience listening at home. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's not driving. <laughs> I lie to myself constantly because I, I have a fear of commitment and it turns out that every series I've ever started has been like a million books long. I, I can't not, but every time it's a standalone. I've just started a standalone. And the part where I've built a very careful lattice of world rules that could support up to 30 books, that's incidental. It's a standalone. And then I finish it. And then my agent or my editor will ask me, so what's the sequel about? And I can tell them without pause. And I usually realize about midway through describing book six that, oh, crap, it's a series. Um, I I thought that the Toby Day books were a 14-page short story. I really did. How'd that work out? <laughs> As you can see, not terribly well. Okay, oh, 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 oh I've got a question. Um, which sadly sort of leaves Lynn out, but... It's fine. It's, uh, I'm just an editor, I don't matter. Oh! Uh, so, so we were we were having a discussion last night, or the night before, about uh, people naming things after your characters. Cats. Pets. Children. Yeah. yeah. What's what's the coolest thing that's ever been named after something in one of your books? A great white Easy. shark. <laughs> hmm? Easily a child. Um, and there are two Septembers out there that I know of. Yay. And, uh, and I mean, it, I can't imagine anything better than a human being being named after uh, something that I wrote. Uh, the year after the sixth book came out, Sookie was the fifth most popular name for girls in the United States. I have girls all over the U.S. who will hate me forever. <laughs> <laughs> or Anna Paquin. Whichever. <laughs> I, I actually do have a great white shark. She was tagged by the Australian Oceanographic Institute. Her name is Georgia Mason. Uh, oh, cool. She was last seen somewhere around 9,000 feet, just sort of sharking along and <laughs> stuff. Hitting her microphone, <laughs> I, I I would love to meet her, but I think it would end poorly for me. <laughs> oh come on, can you think of a better way to go? 
Yeah. <laughs> At least then we would be able to find part of the body. I mean, I'm always afraid that I'm just going to wander away at one of these conventions in the desert. I'll see a snake and I'll follow it, and like three days later, someone will realize their guest has disappeared. That that very nearly happened the last time we were here in Phoenix. Yeah. We were at Leprechaun, and, and I just... Shannon was looking for a rattlesnake. And I wandered away. I eventually guided her home. <laughs> Leprechaun or Leprechaun? Leprechaun. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Leprechaun is the one with the armadillos. Yep. Well, you know, armadillos... We were the, the only, only two people... <laughs> armadillos carried leprosy. Yep. Yeah, that was the... Armadillos carry leprosy. Koalas carry chlamydia, and llamas carry syphilis. And prior to Christopher Columbus coming to the Americas, only llamas had syphilis, which means that Christopher Columbus <laughs> fucked a llama. <laughs> Christopher Columbus, or one of his. But not an armadillo. <laughs> if he fucked an armadillo, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> I was I was promised a carnivorous plant once, but it never happened. As far Aww. as I know. Oh, so remember that, fans? <laughs> carnivorous plant. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're the only person in the world who would be as excited as me about. No, that. I, I think there's a long list of people, but I, I would just like to be able to have one that is named after a friend because then I could pretend it was my friend. <laughs> And eventually I'd be startled to see the human friend. It'd be like having your cat turn into a person. Well, <gasps> Anne, Anne Bishop has a pitcher plant. There's, a, there's a pitcher plant cultivar, Anne Bishop. Aww. I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, mean, I have friends who raise irises and name them after, like, uh, science fiction um, franchise characters. Mm -hmm. So, like, there, you know, there's a Captain Kirk mm -hmm. iris and there's a, a Tenth Doctor iris and there's a, you know... There's a Soaky Stackhouse iris out there. I am certain of that. Um, oh, but, you know. A new goal. <laughs> I'd like a flu strain named after me. I think that would be <laughs> It's inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually kind of shocked it hasn't happened already, really. I want it to be one of the really high H's, like the H12, H13 strains, because those ones will actually make you melt. And I'm really excited about that idea. Like... It causes full-on meltdown in the lungs. It's called a McGuire flu. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners at home, that was Bear inching further away from the comment and closer to me as if that would make a difference. Unless Bear's going to just grab me to use me as a human shield. <laughs> well, yeah. That was, our, that was the strategy. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw you to Sean and I'll break for the door. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. See, it's always the editors who get thrown under the bus right off the bat. Okay, so at this point, I think we can take a few audience questions if you have them. Please throw up a hand, and I will repeat your question for the podcast listeners. And now's your chance for glory and fame. Let's have some hands, audience. Yes? Um, just because you were just talking about flus and plagues named after you, there's a phone app game called Plague Incorporated. Do any of you play? <laughs> Does anyone on the panel play Plague Incorporated? What kind of the phone app? Everybody dies. <laughs> I'm so good at killing everybody. I like Pandemic better, though. I, Plague is fun, but Pandemic, because of the way that the news reports are structured, you know, so, so many people, X has infected so many people, X has killed so many people, I will name it after my friends that I miss. 
So, like, I haven't been able to see Kat in the flesh very often recently, which is why I keep reaching over and touching her arms, because it's nice to have her near me. So I made a hemorrhagic, parasitic, waterborne virus recently and named it Catherine Valenti. And <laughs> Catherine Valenti has claimed five million lives. Catherine Valenti is now endemic in Europe. A vaccine for Catherine Valenti have failed. And then Kat killed everybody. And I was just like, I feel so close to you right now. And it's like five in the morning where you are, so I can't call to tell you how much I love you, but you you killed everybody, baby. Yay. Everybody. I'm so proud of myself. I am also a very big fan of pandemic. Um, if if nothing else, there's the, the joy of actually getting Madagascar. Yes. Yes. And the, the fact that every single game, the last person living in Iceland is a lab tech who dies at her bench working on that vaccine. <laughs> last human being on earth. Work ethic. <laughs> Just some of the little quirks of programming that the game has delight me. You, you develop narratives around them, you know, you invent personalities. Oh, yeah. I like the, the programming quirks in Pandemic, although my favorite programming quirk will always be Gandhi and civilization. <laughs> um, Gandhi is supposed to be the most passive character in the game, so he's got an aggression score of zero. Well, there's a bug in the game that it turns out you do a thing, I can't remember what the thing is, but when that thing happens, Everyone is supposed to become less aggressive, so everyone's aggression score drops by two. Well, you can't drop zero by two. It doesn't allow for negative two, so it wraps, and suddenly Gandhi has an aggression of 98 on a scale of one to ten. So Gandhi, who prior to this has been your loving friend and is like, let's preach peace, whips out the nukes and is just going on your ass. And it's amazing. The first time this happens to a 12-year-old playing Civilization, the betrayal in their eyes when they turn around and Gandhi's army is there. It's just, it's a thing of beauty forever. Other questions from the audience? We'll riff on anything. Yeah, really. We'll make something up. Please, <laughs> give us something. Throw me a bone here. Yes, go ahead. Uh, going to the Mirror Grant books, um, you tackle zombies, which I love what you did with them. Uh, parasitology is fantastic. Uh, any other science-y things that the question from the audience is about uh, additional science-y things. I'm repeating for our podcast listeners. I love what she does with science. I like science. science I'm also fascinated by the people who read my books and they're like, Shannon clearly hates science. When it's like, no, Shannon hates poor applications of science. Science in and of itself is great. Also, you really think that I don't think everyone being dead is a good outcome. Um, I'm doing mermaids. I'm doing science mermaids because evolutionary pressures of the depths are fun and uh, that'll be out from Subterranean Press next year. Um, what I do after I finish with the parasites, I've got a return to the Newsflesh universe and going back for a fourth book called Rewind. So that's going to be more zombies and more death. Uh, and then I'm either doing uh, genetically modified crops and the use of giant Asian hornets as pollinators following total colony collapse disorder, which is about as good an idea as it sounds. And is why I had to go be stunned by one. Um, P.S. Do not get stung by a giant Asian hornet. It hurts a lot. Really bad. Um, on a scale of Gila monster to Indian cobra, I would put it somewhere between timber rattlesnake and 
water moccasin. Um, now, I, I would like to point out for the people at home that fully 50% of the audience is sitting there with their arms crossed and their shoulders hunched <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, so it's either going to be that or it's going to be bi- uh, virological weapons testing of Henda fever uh, post-primary amplificator on a cruise ship. And after that, I will never be allowed on another cruise ship. And that's why I'm taking a cruise to Alaska now. <laughs> I know you didn't, but I thought for a second you said panda fever. <laughs> panda like fever would be awesome. Fuzzy. That, that would be great. I know. Bamboo. Henda fever is awesome. If I catch it and cough on you, you maybe get a little sick. But if a horse catches it and coughs on you, you die. Beware of coughing horses. (laughs) Classic horse. Classic horse. So if you have a horse who's a little horse, stay away. (laughs) Mr. Ed is no longer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we have time for one more question from the audience before I start grilling Charlene. So we have two questions, so we're going to whip through them very quickly because we're just that quick. So we'll start with the gentleman in the Special Olympic shirt. When you're making up the rules for your world, are they, do they stay static or do, they, do you have to modify them over time? Okay, so the question from the audience is, if you are making up the rules for your world, do they stay static or do you have to change them on occasion? I change mine because their eventualities come up that I didn't foresee when I established them. Uh, for instance, there's a, a tradition, tradition, that uh, vampires can't cross running water. Why? You know, what the hell difference does it make? So I kind of, when I came to that, I just thought, okay, that one's just out the window. Besides, Tanya Huff had the best explanation of that anybody could ever come up with. And I thought, well, I can't top that. So I'm just going to say vampires can cross running water if they're in something, canoe, submarine. Whatever. You know, they can. So things like that arise and you have to deal with them as they come up. I think it's important if you say something's a rule that you stick to that. You can find loopholes in those rules. You can work around them and that's some of the most interesting uh, stuff in the series. Uh, The only real piece of advice I've ever found uh, that I took to heart with regards to writing series is to constantly be finding the the core assumptions of your series and turning them on their head with each book. But that doesn't mean, turning them on their head doesn't mean just jettisoning them as though they never happened. You have to work within the framework that you've set up. And you're not really being honest with your own world. Yeah, There are foundational rules that I don't think are necessarily changeable. Um, You know, this universe only has werewolves. Well, if I'm making that an absolute statement that there are only werewolves, that is the only supernatural creature that is going to ever exist, um, if I change that rule, I'm changing everything. Now, Kelly Armstrong, in her Women of the Other World series, started out with that rule, that it was a werewolves-only world, and has the werewolves in book one talking about how they've never heard of anything else supernatural, and she was able to change that rule when she decided that she wanted to, uh, by having all of the other supernatural creatures be like, yeah, because we don't trust you. You'll kill us. So, of course, we've been avoiding you for centuries. Um, but the stories she winds up telling are very, very different ones than they would have yeah. been if she had stayed werewolf only. Um, so the, the foundation rules I try really hard not to change, but everything else, like Kat says, it's a matter of finding the assumptions. If, if you tell a little kid the sky is blue, 
that doesn't mean the sky doesn't turn black at night. It just means that in the day the sky is blue. And if they take that as a blanket, that it will never be any other color, that's their fault, not yours. Yeah. I, I, um, sometimes it's fun to, to... Sometimes you come up with a better idea and you have to figure out how to make it work with the rules yeah. you already have. And I think those are, those are the best ones. We're like, oh, I wish I could do this thing, but I can't because I said this other thing. Wait a minute. And because I, I don't know if it's as much fun for the readers, but for me as a writer, that's tremendous fun. Okay. One last question. Yes, go ahead. Which character are you most like and which one do you wish you were more like? Question from oh. the audience. I'm sorry, I need to repeat it for the yeah. podcast. Which sure. character are you most like and which character do you most wish to be like? Is that correct? Yeah. All your characters that you write. Oh, that's so many. Um, <laughs> I'm most like Aurora Tea Garden, if you read back that far. Um, I wish I were more like Pam, <laughs> because she's ruthless. <laughs> she's ruthless, gorgeous, and resourceful, and I, I think those are all admirable, <laughs> or at least fun. Okay, Does, do any of the other authors have... Uh, Answers for themselves or their other books as well. What character are you most like? What character do you wish you were more like? I don't. I don't want to be any of my characters. <laughs> I, I'd take Toby's healing factor if I could get just that. I would be out of this boot and climbing walls and not worrying about falling to my death. It'd be great. Swimming pool of blood. I am down for the swimming pool of blood. What if, if it's I'm, your blood? I'm fine with that. <laughs> she like she's at Wolverine level regen at this point. I take it. The problem would just be getting me to not kill myself eight times at convention. Like, where's Sean and the panel starting? She's halfway up the side of the hotel just to see what happens when she falls. <laughs> She's spending a year dead for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Kath? I mean, I, I think that I, at different points in time, I have been more and less like various characters. The one that is most obviously me is the narrator of the Fairyland books, because mm -hmm. it just is actually me. Um, I wish I were more like all my protagonists because they are braver and uh, more yeah. action-oriented than I am. Okay. Uh, at this part of the podcast, this is a, a squeakcast tradition. We're going to ask Charlene a series of questions. Um, some of them are somewhat serious and some of them are rather silly. Um, and you can check out uh, other answers to these questions from all of our guests on the, po on the podcast at sfsqueecast.com if you're not familiar with us already. So, Charlene, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. The first question is generally asked by Paul, which is, what do you most fear? Heights. Okay. Shauna would like to know if she can have a cookie. If I had one, she could have it. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Shauna's other question is, what's the first book that you remember reading under your own initiative? Jane Eyre. Paul's next question, uh, we usually make him sing it, but he's not here, so I'm not going to sing it. Because uh, mostly it's just to make Paul sing it. I, I could say, actually, we you should make Sean and sing it. No. 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 <laughs> You're going to have to listen to me sing then. That's fine. Okay. I am not a, a patriarchal sounding British man, so well, it sounds funny. funny. Okay, so Barry, you're going to do your, your Paul imitation? Yes. What have you done today to make Paul proud? <laughs> Okay, 
The next question comes from Bear. Bear, would you like to ask it since you're sitting right oh, here sure. and it's written down? What do you want on your tombstone? She tried really hard. <laughs> and the next question also comes from Bear. Oh, uh, what is your favorite joke? And please tell it to us, and it does not have to be clean. <laughs> Good. Uh, why do mice have such small balls? Why do mice have such small balls? Because not very many of them know how to dance. <laughs> That's the only joke I can remember. <laughs> Okay, then the next question usually comes from Kat. It is, what is your quest? Oh, my quest is to keep, is to try to be a better writer with every book I write. If you want to know the truth, that's the truth. The next question comes from me, uh, which is, what is your favorite word? Adjacent. <laughs> And the last question comes from Michael, who is not here with us today. Uh, what's the one place you'd like to visit that you've never traveled to yet? Egypt. Excellent. All right. We are nearly out of time, so I'm going to play us out, and then we can have a little chat after I stop recording. So uh, bear with me, folks, as I do the last little bit for the podcast. <laughs> bear was with me, for those of you who are listening at home. Bear just decided to be with me while you were bearing with me. Because our puns are all visual now. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thanks to our regular contributors, Sean and Kat and Bear. And special thanks to, to Charlene Harris for being our very gracious guest. We also want to say, give special thanks to our webmaster, Dimitri Zagadulin, our technical producer, David McCone-Chase, who will make this actually audible for our audience at home, Jeff Bonhoff at Mystic Fig Studios for the instrumentals of music by Shauna McGuire for our theme song, Katie Shovelworth, who made our rockin' logo, and Michael Damian Thomas for general administrative support. He keeps me organized. He keeps all of us organized. Uh, special thanks to Phoenix Comic Con for inviting us to do a live recording. We hope that you all join us next, next time, same squee time, same squee channel. Can you just slide that a little bit closer to Charlene, please, so it's closer to the middle of the table? All right, so we're moving the testicle. We're moving the testicle. It <laughs> <laughs> is Darth Vader's testicle. It is Darth Vader's testicle. Uh, testicle. As you can see, it, it is cybernetic like the rest of him. Yes. We, and it's the only one I've Weighty. Yes. Play the music and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs>